So, what I'd like to do today is um, the the topic is the general topic is the study of Talmud and Gemara. We'll work out specifically how that's going to um, how we're going to do that, but I'd like to demonstrate as opposed to instead of teaching or learning the most fundamental lesson that Gomorrah Talmud teaches us is that the process of study is not a lesson or lecture it's an experience the difference between a lecture and an experience is a lecture is when the point of the interaction is informationally based whereas the point of an experience is it's a l- you live through the process it's not it's not about i learned this fact and that fact it's about i did this thing or i did that thing okay so what what i'd like to suggest is as follows even though the talmud is a text but what the talmud and this is what the gemara in brachas says there's a gemara which says the following thing it says that a person that um that has knows Chumash, Korah, Vishana, and he knows Mishnah, so he knows both elements of the written and the oral Torah, and he hasn't Shemesh Tamla Chachamim, and he hasn't, he hasn't, le- he hasn't ap- been apprenticed to the sages, he's considered a person who does not know anything, even though he's got all the information. Because the process whereby you address the information changes the status of a person from being ignorant to being informed. Because you can have all the information, but if the process whereby you access the information isn't a, um, isn't a skilled process, it's just a sponge-like process, so then you can't achieve an understanding. So what I'm going to do is as follows. You're not going to have text, because it's not about the text. I'm going to present you with information, and what I'm going to call on you to do is to process that information. Through you processing the information, what you'll be doing is, you'll be living out the Talmud's goal. In other words, the goal is not to, the goal is not to study a text, the goal is to understand. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to present you the information. You have to understand the information I've got you, given you. And then you have to draw a conclusion from it which is not explicitly in the text. Are you ready? Okay, this is the case. It's the Mishnah in <coughs> Bavakama. It's the Mishnah in Bavakama and it says the following thing. It states a case. Now, I don't get caught up into the details of the case. We're going to have to do a few cognitive movements over here. It says, Akelev, the dog, Vagadi, or the goat. So it's a dog and a goat. Shekaftu Mirashagag, they jumped off from the top of the roof. Veshavrias akalim, and they broke vessels. Veshalem nezek shalem. The owner of the dog, or the owner of the goat, has to pay full damages. And the reason is, because they are habitual in that type of damage. Okay? So all this just to welcome you to what we're doing. We're trying to experience the process of learning Gemara and to try to 
explain the fact that it's not a text at all that the study of Talmud is a process and therefore you don't need text I've got a text just to have the source of information but the process which follows is totally inside your head so there's a dog or a goat they jump off the top of a roof they break vessels something that's underneath the roof which is breakable they jump onto it they break it is the, low, uh, is the owner of the dog, the owner of the goat, liable to pay for the destruction of the vessels? Oh, yes, he is. The reason is because he's habitual in that type of damage. So that's a piece of information. Now, what we'd like to get to is another case, which is not stated explicitly. And you have to show me, from your processing and understanding of the information I gave you, you have to come to a conclusion in the following case. What would be if you owned a powerful, vicious Rottweiler? Now this thing is, is, is solid muscle and teeth. It is vicious. And you keep your Rottweiler behind your gate. <coughs> One day, as you're leaving to go to shul early in the morning, and you haven't really woken up, you make a critical mistake. You leave the gate open. The Rottweiler wakes from his slumber and he looks onto the street and he sees an innocent passerby whose name is Ruvain strolling down that street. He gets up and one can even hear the growl in his throat. So you hear the growl and then he starts pick up speed as he runs towards poor Ruvain. Ruvain sees him coming, his face goes white. He realizes there's no escape. The Rottweiler frothing at the mouth gets ever closer to poor Ruvain. When he's about two meters away, his mouth open ready to clench Ruvain's shin with his teeth, the Rottweiler trips over a root in the road, spins into the air, does a triple somersault, and lands on Ruvain's back, smashing Ruvain to the ground and causing him grievous bodily harm. However, afterwards the Rottweiler is concussed, so he never gets to bite poor Ruvain. Okay, that's the case. I want you to be able to prove to me from the information I have given to you about the dog or the goat that jumped off the roof, what would the scenario be? Would the owner of the Rottweiler be liable to pay for the damages caused to poor, flattened Ruvain? Or not? Now what's probably going to happen in your mind is blank. How do I get from that information to that conclusion? And that's because, in order to arrive from that information to that conclusion, we have to analyze the information that was first given to us. So now let's go through the process of analysis. The first thing when you analyze any given piece of information is what? What do you do when you're given a piece of information? What is the crucial first stage that you do? It is an interactive share. See if it makes sense to you. Before you see if it makes sense to you. Eliminate. 
Eliminate what? That was the Rottweiler that was doing to Ruvain. Before you eliminate something which is not relevant. You read the piece. You, 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 you put in all the information that's in front of you. Step number one is make sure you haven't missed out any information. So here we have our information. The information is there's a dog or there's a goat that jumps off a roof, lands on breakables and breaks them, liable to pay for damages because it's habituated in that type of damage. Now, we've read through it. Reading through is stage one. What's stage two? Before you get to understanding, Break it down into segments. How many parts are there? How many, so let's work them out. How many parts are there? Why should I work them out? You work them out. You bunch of lazy landlubbers. <laughs> three parts. What are the three parts, Keen? So one second. So oh, the sorry, four. four parts. Go through the four parts. So they there's a dog or a goat. Good. They jump off the roof. Good. They break the vessel. Good. Is the owner liable or not? And we say the low, the owner is liable. And then we go one step further and we say because they are habituated. So that's really five parts. Mm. Sorry? Okay, so that's already, that's going into a different stage. It's going to the stage of trying to illustrate the case. Right now, we're just dividing it into its constituent parts. Do you argue, Orbs? Looks like you're about to argue. That's not the beginning, that's towards the end. You, that's already analysis. No, no, that's already analysis. When you ask the question why, that's an advanced question. Before you get to the why, you have to have the what. So right now, we've got the what. The what is, there was a part one, there was a dog and a goat. Part two, they jumped off the roof. Part three, they broke vessels. Part four, the owner is liable to pay. Part five, because they are habituated in doing so. Now, let's go one step further. In that information, is there a difference between parts one, two, and three, and parts four, and part five? In my mind, I see that those parts play different functions in the piece of information. Dave, it looks like you know the answer to this question. Uh, oh, you know there's a difference. Well, what do you think the difference is after many years of medical training and diagnosis? <laughs> the, first, the first three is the, the scenario. The first three present the scenario of what occurred. The, the fourth part gives me... I guess the, the, the effect, the, the, the consequences. Say better. You're saying good. Say better. The consequences... Yep. Speak in legalistic terms there. Ruling. The ruling. So the first three cases set up the case. The first three parts set up the case. The fourth part tells me the ruling. And the fifth part, Mr. Levy? Uh, consequences. Well, uh, the consequences. No, the, again, the, the, yeah. the, the, the fourth the part is you're liable to pay. The fifth part is because they are, they are normal. It's, it's, it's expected that they cause damage in this way. Dogs, goats, jump off roofs. What is that? How would you describe that? The reasoning. The, the understanding of why it works. 
So now what we've done is, in the processing of information, we've defined what the different roles of different parts play. So the first part is the scenario, the second part is the ruling, and the third part is the reason why. Good. So that's all part of stage one, where we're just getting an accurate assimilation of the information. If you don't do this, will you be able to understand it later on? No. No. If you skip, skip this step, what will you be? you'll be unable to go through a processing in accurate fashion. And therefore, if you are lazy at this stage, so everything that you conclude later on will be sloppy and silly. And also... Vague, incorrect. Vague, incorrect, and specifically... There's no reason why I should know what I'm saying. Stupid. <laughs> Good. So now that's it. So now you've got this. So now, now what we have to do is, now that we've figured out the text or the information, now we have to flesh out the hidden details of the case. So now what we have to do is we have to use a completely different part of our brains, which is the ability to visualize. So what I want you to do is tell me what occurred. Now I want you to tell it to me in vivid technicolor so that as you describe it, I can see in my mind's eye exactly what's going on. Is a dog and a goat? Standing on it's, not, it's either or. So let's either. pick one. Who do you want to pick? Dog. A dog. What kind of dog are we talking about? Vivid detail. A big, a big Great Dane. A big Great Dane. Keep on going. What's the weather like? Sunny. It's a sunny day and there's a big Great Dane. His name is? Charlie. Charlie. So Charlie, <laughs> Charlie the big Great Dane. Where's Charlie located? It's a big Great Dane. He's standing on top of a garage roof. He's standing on top of the garage roof. What kind of garage roof are we referring flat, to? It's a flat. It's a flat it's a garage flat, roof. Yeah. Okay, great. It's, yeah, it's hard thing to Charlie has an owner? Charlie has an owner. What's his owner's name? <laughs> George. George. So George, there's going to be, George has a dog called Charlie. Okay. Now, where is his garage roof located? <coughs> it's, attached, it's attached to the side of the house. Whose house? George's house. George's house. So George has a house, and in his house he has a garage, and on the garage there's the a garage flat a roof, flat, flat and then his big great Dane called Charlie yeah. has gone onto the roof. He's somehow gone onto the top of the roof. What happens next? He jumps. He jumps off the roof. He jumps off the roof. He's a great Dane, he can <coughs> jump far and wide, and where does he land? In the neighbor's in the neighbor's garden. So in other words, let's, let's get the scene very clear. Mm. So you've got this garage roof. Now, I'd say, look, adjacent to the garage, mm. there's a the next door plot. Mm. He's walking along the roof mm. and he jumps into the neighbor's garden. Mm. What's in the neighbor's garden? These expensive and rare pots. These expensive and rare pots made from? Gold. Gold? <laughs> They're not going to break so easily, <laughs> even with a big, strong, great day like Charlie. Porcelain. They're Ming vases. They're Ming vases. Ming vases worth thousands and thousands of dollars. Mm. So what happens is Charlie springs from the roof and there's a gigantic smash. The yep. And the br and the the vases are shattered. Okay, mm. that's that's the elaboration. Now what you've done from a thinking perspective is you've taken principles and you've made them into details. 
So the, the Mishnah doesn't fill in, the, doesn't tell me that, the, that there was a great day and it was tried. You're trying to bring down into reality something which is just a legalistic terminology. That's a fantastic thing to be able to do. And you feel that, that when you do that, so the case takes on a different feel of tangibility. It can become real and you can think about it in a different light. So now we're seeing this in front of our own eyes. Now, what happens next? So now... Beautiful, what's his name? Butch. Butch. So Butch comes, and what do you think Butch does next? Screaming and shouting. Screaming and shouting, what does he say? These are rare vases. These are rare vases. Thousands of dollars. Comes George, gets, he has all the commotion, comes to his gate and he says back to Butch. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So now, what's going to happen now is inevitably when you, you have it. George, I mean, George is sorry. He's he is sorry, sorry. He's sorry. But the question is now: he has to pay, right? Does he want to pay? He says, "I'm sorry," but you know, what I'm saying, "I'm sorry." It was, it was Charlie, not me. Uh-huh. But, didn't so <laughs> but didn't he say, "What are you doing to leave your expensive vases lying in the?" Okay, so now what's going to happen is I'm going to give you George's job. You have now become George. <laughs> okay, great question. Before we get into Butch's insurance policy, there's a George. Now what you have to do is you have to you've just been given the job of a Butch. A Butch. You Butch. So now you guys are here. Now I'm interested to know this because what I've done is I've brought you guys to court. Okay? Now we have the judges. We have three judges, Dayanim. Okay, I'll both sides. Um, let's hear your case. What happened, George? Sorry, what happened, Butch? Why do you look so why do you look so red in the face? A very expensive vase was crushed by his dog in my property. Wow, that sounds like he was absolutely negligent. What do you have to say for yourself, George? Uh, well, wh- why did you have these expensive vases if you if they were expensive as you said they are? Why, what were they doing right against the fence so that my dog could have if he jumped, he jumped on your vases. Why did you not put them in the house where they should have been if they were thousands it of dollars? Still in my land. I can put in my land what I want, you know. I, I, I understand that, but I think it's uh, you sit, you've set up a situation where somebody could have broken them under easily under any circumstances. They w- they could not have been as precious and as important to you if you left them lying where they were. The articles of that value that could get damaged should not be left around where they could have gotten damaged. Yeah, but you should have looked after your dog. Um, I did look after my dog. He was in my house, but unfortunately, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, he jumped over the fence. And under normal circumstances, in a normal George, does your dog normally jump over the fence? Um, yes, he's a bit. Oh, 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 interesting. <laughs> so when you say that, so you expected him to do that? Um, yeah, I. Oh, you expect? Oh, 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 oh. So you expect? Oh, oh, very. Very interest, very <laughs> interesting. Mm. Um, let me start. I didn't expect him to do that, but it's possible that he would have done it. But excellent. But under the circumstances, I would not have expected expensive vases to be stand to be put in a situation where they could have gotten damaged. If, 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 if he was a butcher or yeah. behavior, yeah. then butcher would know this and not. What do you have to say about that, Butch? I mean, you you know you know you know all about Charlie, the vicious great dame, don't you? Um, I guess I should have uh, <coughs> not left him lying around. Oh really? <laughs> so one second, one second. You have to be concerned about people trespassing, and you have to be concerned that there may be a trespasser who illegally enters your 
your property that may break your things, you have to be concerned about that? Um, I, didn't, I don't think so. Okay, so then, then stand up for your rights. Okay. okay. Make a bit of a demand. Yeah. Pretend you're in court. You want the cash. He owes you $10,000. Yeah. <laughs> But, but uh, okay, I, I've got another thing. If they're that valuable, while they're lying there, somebody could have come in and pinched them in any event. People have to ring in the bell before they can come in. And then I come and let them in. So no one comes in my property without my permission. Okay. Hmm. I, mean, I mean, gentlemen, my fellow judges, how would you rule in this case? What would you say? What would your reasoning be? I'm still, I'm still ruling in the favour of you paying him you know, compensation because... You're still responsible for making sure that your dog does not jump over the fences, does not get out, does not, does not break other people's property. And you know that that's a habitual behaviour of a dog. So it's up to you as the owner of the dog to make sure that you control that behaviour. I think, I, I think if it has someone got the gavel, um, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm sorry George, I know this Objection from the, from the Ah, objection from the court. Ah, ah. So ah, ah, ah. So, another, another, another objection. Okay, 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 well that's one objection. So, so the truth is, the, the Mishnah says explicitly, because they are habituated. So what you're suggesting is that your dog is an exception to the rule. Your dog is an exception to the rule, and therefore you shouldn't play by the rules, and that's your, that's your claim, George against Butch. That, that, that's a good claim. No, he's not bad. Eh? You should hire him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's your objection? Ah. I have on record Butch saying at the pub that he's had enough of George's dog jumping over and he's going to put his expensive vessel there so that he can take it to court when they get broken because he doesn't want him jumping in there. He deliberately put them there and to be broken. Why is it a reason? So why is it a reason that George should be less liable? So what? He, so what? At the end of the day, yeah. Why not? Why not? Why would his intention? Why would his intention exempt George from payment? So what? So what? You're right. You're 100% right. He's a low down, scaly individual. But why would that exempt him in the Jewish court of law? That would only make a variance if you moved it as a soldier. Like the fact you'd be a lawyer. You'd <laughs> <laughs> be a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. So, so, so this, at this point in time, the case is once. Sorry, what's your name again? Ruben, right. And that would only make a difference if you moved it as the old child. So then you are now moving it and that's what wasn't the That's almost like you're breaking your jug against the dog. So there you there at the party, but if he jumps onto and you didn't do that, it makes no difference. So but the truth is, judges, the fact that, that George's claim has actually been that his dog is an exception to the rule. Dean, what would you say? Would that be a valid claim in court? No. Because why? Why wouldn't it be? Because regardless, it's still it's not it's not relevant to the situation. 
In other words, what you're saying is that even though George claims that his dog is an exception, it's still, still, still broke the vases on someone else's property. He still broke the vase on someone. So he's never done this. It's, it's always back at 100. He's never done this before. So animals cannot be animals 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 jumping animals. It's, a, it's, a, it's a part of their nature. So, so therefore, therefore, even though you say your your dog is an exception to the rules, that that's a dodgy claim, and we don't buy it. Yeah, because maybe, maybe there was a cat in the yard and the dog saw the cat. <laughs> <laughs> See, you know what's wonderful? You've actually become so involved in George claim that you're now upset that you have to pay. Okay, listen, I, I, I think the case is clear cut. Um, we passed and there's no... George, I'm sorry, I mean, don't take it personally. <laughs> Okay, so now the insurance the insurance claim is complicated. We're assuming the case is no insurance. In other words, in the case of insurance, so then we'd have to then the case then the case would actually be between the insurance company and George, because the insurance company wouldn't want to pay if it was George's negligence. So let's take out the insurance company for the moment and just discuss the bare bones of the case. Okay, so now that's the case. Now, I just want to stop one second and pause and see and demonstrate to you that the original piece of information we presented was a very terse, small piece of information. And in order to properly comprehend it, comprehend it we need to involve ourselves in that discussion. You follow me? And if we hadn't involved ourselves in that discussion, our understanding would have been so much more limited. So now I'm going to take it one step further. Remember, we began with the question. The question was, what happened when, in a different case, you have a big Rottweiler called Brutus and Brutus goes out to attack Ruvain who's walking on the street because you left the gate open and Brutus is an attacking dog, he's habituated in doing so and he's running towards Ruvain and he gets closer and closer and closer but at the last moment instead of biting him something completely unexpected occurs. He trips, does a triple somersault, a somersault lands on Ruben's back, causing him grievous body harm. Are you liable for the damages or not? Prove to me from the case of the dog called Charlie. Ruben, in other words, Ruben's back or damaged. Is that case is that case comparable? Should he be liable or exempt in that case? Don't. He's not. Uh, one second. Is it grammar? Well, it's not grammar because grammar, grammar is when you cause damage. This is talking about mammonishes, like your animal caused damage. Okay, so now, don't call out. Try to think what the case would be and try to be aware of what kind of thoughts you had to come to the conclusion. What you're going to have to do is just, I'll give you a little bit of an assistance. What you're going to have to do to get to this case is you're going to have to extrapolate what the principle of the case is. So what's the principle? So maybe you'll go there first. What's the principle learnt from the dog case? From the Charlie case? What principle? Orbs? What? Oh, go on. Say, say what you mean. The inherent behavior of the, of the animal, the habituated aspect of it. So ah. Ah. The brilliant. In other words, when there's an expected behavior of an animal, you have liability because you should have known that that was going to happen. And therefore, you are negligent for leaving the gate to open. Correct. But over here in this case... But in this case, he didn't get bitten. He got something Unexpected. And therefore, you would claim that in that case? 
potentially, I'm not sure. Potentially, you'd suggest you perhaps suggest that it's an accident. It's and an accident, and therefore, other um, remedies are, you know, whether you directly responsible or not, it's not. It's not that oh, bottom line, person. bottom no, line. You're not responsible. You're not responsible. You're not responsible. So all this is coming to say that in that situation, when even though you are negligent, but your negligence <coughs> didn't create the damage later on, you're exempted. Because the case of Charlie, the jumpy Great Dane, there, because you are negligent and not keeping him in your house, allowing him to get into your roof, he was able to go out and damage, and as a direct result of your negligence, the damage occurred. It was completely expected. You knew that. You could have prevented it. And since you knew it and could have prevented it, you're out liable for not doing so. Whereas over here, in the case of the Rottweiler, granted, you knew that he could have gone and bit him, and had he bit him, Aubrey agrees that he would be liable, but ultimately, the damage that was done to him was completely unexpected, and it shouldn't have occurred to you, and therefore you have no liability. David Sachs disagrees with you. <laughs> David Sachs disagrees. I think the Great Dane case, my responsibility ends by keeping the dog in my property. What he does over the fence, I don't know if he's going to break Ming vases or rip up plants, I don't have no clue. So by the right by the case, my negligence is when he gets out the gate. What he does afterwards, I can't, I don't have knowledge of what the dog will do once or won't do, and therefore I'm responsible for this, but not responsible for that once he gets out the gate. Well, I have to once out the gate, anything that he does is... Any animal, why does it why does it it does, but that's only when they do it in the normal way. In the normal, this is an abnormal way. No, but tripping, going into the sky, doing a triple somersault, and then landing is completely abnormal. No, but that means you're saying that by the Great Dane case, it's not because generally they don't trip. It's unexpected. He's a sure-footed rock fighter. That means generally when they jump off the roof. Okay, so Dave comes to the to, to the following following argument against Aubrey and he says, Listen, Orbs, what you're saying is really stupid. <gasps> so you have to get the guys involved in this. Now you're gonna have to defend yourself. I mean, how <laughs> dare he call you stupid? <laughs> He's saying that <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Orbs, don't worry, Orbs. We're gonna prove you right. We're gonna prove you right. So so Dave says, one second, your liability should be determined by your negligence. If you're negligent, that in itself is enough to make you liable, regardless of how the damage ultimately occurs. <coughs> to which orbs you reply? I think your, your responsibility isn't just to... In, in, within your fences. The responsibility is to the behavior of the dog. Fantastic. So now, the dispute that you two are having, just one second, the dispute that you two are having is the following way. I'll, ex I'll, I'll express it in Hebrew and then express it in English. In Hebrew you'd say, Tchilato bepshia if a person has negligence initially but ultimately the damage occurs because of circumstances beyond his control is he liable or is he exempt? you say that he is exempt you say he is liable correct? so now do you understand what we've done? we've moved from the details of the case to the principle 
right? Doesn't that feel nice and solid in our brains? Now, of course, Dave is wrong. Why, of course? Because he's always wrong. <laughs> so, the reason why Dave is wrong can be proven from the language of the initial case. Now, we're going to have to employ more thinking skills. Listen carefully to the language of the case and you'll see that an entire world op opens up through the power of implication. Now, I'll just give you a brief introduction to what implication is. Implication is a means of deduction that you're able to infer from what's stated to what's not been stated. So, for example, if I say to you, um, there are men, there are only men in this room, you can imply, there's no woman. There's no woman. There's no woman. I didn't tell you there were no women, but it's an implication from my statement. If I say it is dark in the night, you can imply it's light in the day. These are all kinds of implications. Okay? So now, let's look carefully at the words of the Mishnah and try to bring a proof to either Orb or Dave to whether when you start off with negligence and you land up with duress, if you're liable or exempt. The dog that jumped from the roof and broke vessels, he is liable. Now, let's think about it. Mesh, what would be a case of a dog breaking under duress? Not liable. Why? But what would, how, would the, how would the duress occur? What would be, in other words, jumping is normative. So what would a kind of breakage be that wouldn't be normative? Somersault or what would you say? Fell! Fell! So now we're making what's called a deal. The dog that jumped off the roof, he is liable. Why? Because Dogs jump. Hmm. By implication, if the dog fell off the roof, hmm. he would not be liable. Because since falling off the roof is a more unexpected kind of damage, had it been true that when he fell off the roof, he'd be liable, that's the case the mission should have chosen to be taught. Because that's a bigger chiddush, that's more novel. So if it would have said the dog that fell off the roof is liable, I'd say how much more so when he jumps? But if it says, when he jumped off the roof, he's liable, it means when he fell off, he's exempt! Ha ha ha! <laughs> <laughs> High five! <laughs> so therefore we see, therefore we see, therefore we see a proof from our Mishnah that when you start off in an act of negligence and the duress occurs, you are not liable! Now, do you understand? All we did was we had one piece of information. But through an analysis of the information we had, we were able to come to a completely different scenario and apply the knowledge. That was only because we stopped and thought. We stopped and thought. This is a lesson not only for the study of Talmud, but for life. 
You can go through life and you can see things which have an incredibly powerful wisdom to teach us. If you stop and analyze them, you'll be able to extract from them a thousand different lessons. If you walk by like a glump, it won't tell you anything about anything. The way a person derives joy, satisfaction and happiness in life, the way you measure how alive you are is by the degree of change in quality and quantity in any given moment. Death is when things do not change. They stagnate. They maintain the exact same state as they were before or they decay. Life is when things grow and they generate. And what's here today wasn't here yesterday. The way, one of the most powerful ways of growth is by looking at the world with different eyes every moment. And then things that you saw previously take on a completely new different dimension. And you can re-understand, review, reframe, and then life is pregnant with vitality every second of the day. But you're right, it takes effort. It takes effort because life is a proactive choice. It doesn't happen by default. So one of, the, one of the tangential benefits of the study of Talmud is that your brain becomes more trained to be able to understand the depth of every situation that you engage in. You become a more thinking person. A more thinking person is a person who is much more alive. And life becomes a much happier place to be. Okay, gentlemen? Now, if you'd like to, we can push ourselves a little bit further in this investigation. We have, let's say, another couple of minutes. Do we have another couple of minutes? So let's try a little bit further. Okay? Now, we're going to have to stretch our brains even further. Let's think about something. The negligence is, the negligence of the owner, of George, we said, is it has to be specific. Meaning, he has to have an awareness that his dog poses a danger to the properties of his neighbor. Otherwise, he's, you know, if he thinks that the neighbor has nothing to break, he's not negligent. Because even if his dog would jump, it wouldn't cause any harm. So he has to have quite a specific knowledge about what's hanging around his neighbor's garden. If he doesn't know their vase is there, and all he thinks is that the dog can jump and do no damage, so then he's not considered negligent in regard to the vases. He didn't know they were there. So for his negligence to be assumed in regard to the vases, it means he knows they're there. Good? Good. So then he'd be liable for the gardens. But you couldn't make him liable for the vases. Good. So we... Because that's something that by automatic definition, if there's a problem for the garden, then anything in the garden could also be done. It depends. If it's the norm to put vases in the garden and you could expect them to be there, then you're right. If it's an exceptional act, so then we go back to the same principle. You kept out the fluff in the garden. You see, 
That's not that's not true because that will that will tie back into our machlokes. It's If it's an expected thing for the vase to be there, you'll be liable. If it's completely out of the ordinary, it never would have occurred to you that these things would be there, and therefore you can't have liable because you have no negligence in regard to that. Granted, if he digs up the god, then you will be liable. But if he breaks vases, you say vases? I didn't know there were vases there, and you can't hold him responsible. Okay, so so now the kind of the argument we're having is as follows: Does the negligent have to be specific or general? What I'm saying is that you have to be negligent regard to the object that's damaged, and you're saying you have to be negligent in a general sense. If damage could occur, you are liable. Mm. I, acce- I accept your point. I'm going to accept it, but let's go with my point and see where it takes us. Okay? Let's assume that you have to have specific negligence. They have to know that the vases are there. Okay. Now, if that's true, I'm going to get myself into a bit of trouble. Because think about it. When an animal jumps, the distance from the animal to the place where it lands is great or small? Depends on the height of the roof. And depends on the size of the animal. But what's certainly true is, where would an animal go further? Jumping or falling? Jumping. Jumping. That means if an animal jumps, it would get to, let's say, the animal starting off over here, mm-hmm. and it jumps over there, so it would hit that point. Yeah. If it falls, it would it drop. drop it. So now, let's examine my reasoning. My reasoning that I wanted to prove from the Mishnah was that if the animal jumps, he's liable. If he falls, he's not liable. But one second, there's no case of him falling. Because if he falls, he'll miss the vases. <laughs> so therefore, my, my implication doesn't get off the ground. Because it just doesn't exist in reality. Mm. But, but, if the animal was fell, it could have been restless. Ah, so your first, your first way of resolving it is that it's not, it's not inevitable that animals falling will not cause damage. A key could fall and roll, and that could cause the damages. That's one resolution. Ah, so now the question is, if there's two vases, if there's two vases, is it considered that I was negligent to the second vase, or only in, in regard to the, the, to the closer vase or the further vase? You could, you, could, you could say that since I was, wasn't negligent to the closer vase, because he wouldn't have arrived there had he jumped, therefore that's not considered liable. But how, how high is the roof? Because then if the, the animal would be injured if the animal would fell, and if it had jumped it would be less, less so injured. I mean, if it depends that's true, on that's true, that's true, that's true as well. But that, that's not going to be relevant for the liability in regard to the vases. But it will be relevant to see if the animal fell. Fell or rolled or jumped. Yes, true. But there's an easy solution to this. To this. In other words, what could it be that there's, an, there's, there's, there's a kind of thing that I break that it won't make a difference if it's far close? This is one of the commentaries points us out. Quite simple. You set up in a case of a long vase. <laughs> <laughs> so whether from the fence, from the fence till, till the vent, <laughs> and then you solve the problem. 
Okay, gentlemen, we're going to stop there. But just to sum up what, what, what the, the real lesson was. The real lesson is we picked a random Gemara. But the point I want to demonstrate to you is those of you who have learned Talmud before, sometimes when you get involved in the text, you think it's a text. What we did today was we literally went through the text, but I didn't tell you it was a text. Because the text is not a text. The way that the Gemara is written is an exception to the rule of every other book. Every other book it becomes a written document. The Talmud remains oral. Because it doesn't describe, it doesn't give me information, it tells me the process whereby I can arrive at the conclusion. So really, the true way of learning is not to learn, but to experience. And the true way of experiencing is to take yourself out of the text and thrash out the reasoning yourself. In that process, you learn how to process, you become wiser, and you start to mirror the thought processes of the Gemara, which is the God of Gemara. If Gemara was there about to relay information, so it would be structured in an information-based way. It would be structured in a linear fashion by reciting law after law after law. From the fact that the Gemara is presented in such a way as a form of a debate, so the point is not to teach you what, but to teach you how. By learning how, you become sharper. Your mind becomes clearer, and life becomes happier. And then what happens is as follows. Because it's taught as a form of reasoning, you never become locked into the text and unable to apply it to further situations. Once you have the principles and the method of analysis, every time you get to a new situation, you'll say, okay, now we've got a killer armadillo burrowing through underneath the fence. So you'll say, well, I've seen that case before. I'll give an example of this. There's a, a woman came to a great sage called the Rogachava. And she said to the Rogachava, she said, she has a problem. Her child won't nurse from her on Shabbos. And she doesn't know what to do. So the Rogachava said to her, it's a command of a Kama. She looked at the Rogachava and she said, what are you talking about? He says, there's a Gemara of a Kama which says that an ox, there's an ox that goes on the weekday but doesn't go on Shabbos. And the Gemara explains the reason is that on, on sorry, goes on Shabbos but not on the weekday. And the Gemara explains that on Shabbos, because people dress differently, it thinks they're different people. So that incites it. So she said, wear your weekday clothes on Shabbos and see what happens. So he wore his she wore weekday and the child nursed. I'm just showing you, there's a story about Rabbi Yaakov Kaneski, another example. He gets to an unguarded intersection and the bus is coming and he has right of way. He tells his driver, let the bus go past. The driver says, why? Right away. He says, it's a Gemara in Baba Basra. He says, what's a Gemara? He says, it's a Gemara when two ships are docking, the ship that has the majority of people gets the right of entrance. So he says, the bus is like the ship with more people, he should have right away. When a person understands the process, so you don't get locked into the information, and therefore life becomes an interesting exploration of how to apply the knowledge that you've seen and see it from a new perspective. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you.